Welcome to the Defender Bible Study, a weekly encouragement to equip the body of Christ through the study of Scripture and prayer to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children around the world. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, where we believe that defending the fatherless begins by being rooted in God's Word. Today is Monday, March 22nd. This is Chris Johnson, the National Director of Church Partnerships at Lifeline Children's Services. Today we're continuing our study through the books of 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, and we're going to be looking specifically at 1st Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. We are glad to be able to continue this study in 1st Thessalonians. Last week, uh, Dr. Rick gave us some great background information on this book and the understanding of uh, really a lot of what's found in Acts chapter 16, 17 in that area, uh, Paul's second missionary journey when Paul and Silas and Timothy uh, planted this church at Thessalonica and uh, really just kind of shared some of the implications of the, the location there, but then also just uh, the things that, that God did uh, in this church. And of course, in chapter number one, we were seeing how uh, Paul really, his heart for these people, and he, uh, like Paul did pretty much in every place that he went and planted a church, he first went to the synagogue and preached and taught, and then continued that ministry uh, outside of the Jewish community as well. And of course, uh, Thessalonica would have been a considered uh, somewhat a heathen uh, city and a heathen people that, that had not been exposed to uh, the truth of God's word. And so uh, upon hearing the gospel, many, many began to come to know the Lord and uh, began to form the church there. And uh, we uh, see Paul now is writing back to them to encourage them, uh, especially concerning the, the, the adversity and trials that they were facing, uh, but with an understanding really of uh, the, the, the end time, so to speak, and some of the different implications of, of that and how it was affecting their lives, the way they were living and their, uh, just their understanding of the gospel and how it related to, to themselves as well as to, uh, their loved ones and the people around them. So in, in chapter one, we really saw Paul, the evangelist and his heart and desire. He, uh, again, just was clearly sharing the gospel with these folks. Chapter two takes a little bit of a different turn and so in that Paul now is, he's recognizing, okay, we've, I've shared the gift of salvation. You've come to know the Lord in salvation, but now the, the need is to go deeper, right? And, and so we see Paul, uh, how he, he is really kind of moving into this idea of he's, he's been the evangelist, winning the Lord, now he is the discipler. Um, really, I've kind of titled this these first 12 verses in, in the First Thessalonians uh, 2 as the faithful discipler. Paul is now... Uh, He's now reaching that time where he is wanting to really share with them and uh, and and share how to go deeper in their walk with the Lord and their understanding of biblical uh, things, understanding of the gospel. And so he really has a just a love and a heart for the people. And I think that we can glean from uh, these verses this morning just really how that should look in our own lives, right? And we we have we studied our mission statement, we've, or our uh, doctrinal statement, we've looked through uh, some of the different responsibilities we have as believers, and we know that we are to be proclaiming the gospel, we're to be sharing the gospel with others. But we also, when we when we see people come to faith in Christ, we have a responsibility to disciple them. Ultimately, that's the goal, that they would grow in their walk with Christ, they grow in their understanding of the gospel, and even uh, and then in turn in their willingness to share the gospel with others and to disciple others as well. And that ultimately is our responsibility as believers is to make disciples. And so I think we can learn from Paul today some of the things that were evident in his life and some of the things that, that are clear in this passage on the way that he discipled 
the people at Thessalonica and the way that we should also disciple those uh, that God brings in our lives, whether that be um, families we're working with, whether that be in our church setting, whether that be in our family uh, situation. So all of us as Christ followers have the opportunity to pour into and disciple others. And so I think we can learn this morning from Paul's example uh, on what that should look like. And it really kind of goes into three different roles that he played. Uh, we're going to see these very clearly. We're going to see uh, that he was a pastor who is committed, a mother who is caring, and, and then a father who is exemplary. And so we're going to see these different roles and how, and how Paul played these roles and really how we uh, can have these same things evident in our life as we disciple others. So let's dig into 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2 and uh, verses 1 through 12 is what we'll be looking at today. So let's read this passage and then we'll kind of walk through. There's really some real natural uh, outline elements in this that we can kind of follow along and see uh, that should be evident in our lives as we seek to be a faithful disciple. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we have boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor were they pretexts for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ, but we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And we also... We also thank God constantly for this. And he continues on the rest of the chapter. We'll be looking just at these first 12 verses. First of all, we see in, in verses one through six, we see, uh, we see Paul as a pastor who is committed, a pastor who is committed. And you may be saying, well, I'm not a pastor. I'm not, I don't have that title. And that title was not used there uh, to, to uh, refer, Paul does not refer to himself as a pastor here. But ultimately, just remember the, the definition of a pastor is a shepherd. It's one who shepherds and guides. It's one who cares for. It's one who uh, loves and provides for and, and uh, really just kind of desires to see people walk along a path of, of growth, a path of ministry, a path of care. And so the, the pastor is that one who, who longs to care for them. And here, from the very beginning, Paul kind of lets known uh, what his goal is and what his desire is. And his desire and goal is that his those that are that are coming behind him, those that are following, those that he's discipling, that they would walk worthy of this gospel that God has provided, that they would walk in a way that uh, that is that is worthy of what God has done for them. Um, he says there in verse number verse number one, you yourselves know brothers that are coming to you was not in vain. Um, it, it was not it was not useless. It was not a waste of time. It was not something uh, that was that was that was to be taken lightly. But he he had a purpose and a meaning uh, for his coming, and he reveals that purpose and meaning at the end of the passage we read, at the end of verse number twelve, when he says that 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 God calls you uh, to walk in a manner worthy of God. And so he says right from the beginning, 
I didn't come to you just for for vain reasons, for vain purposes, but my coming to you was for the purpose of sharing the gospel so that you, as you allow God to work in your life, that you would walk worthy of this gospel, worthy of what God has done. Paul uh, used the same kind of verbiage of walking worthy of the gospel when he uh, shared in, in the book of Philippians, chapter, chapter number one, he tells them to, to live a life becoming of the gospel. In Ephesians chapter four, he says, walk in a way that is worthy, uh, that your vocation be worthy of this, that your lifestyle be worthy uh, of this gospel. And he's not at all saying that we walk in a way to earn the gospel. Uh, Paul's very clear about that over and over and over again, that we cannot walk in a way to earn the gospel. The gospel is not something to be earned by by good works or by living right and living well. Uh, But what he is saying is in light of this gospel that you have received, in light of this new relationship you have with Christ, that, that you would walk in a way that honors that. Um, the word worthy here, it's really an accounting term, and it's, and it's the idea of, of things weighing in the balance. And he's saying the, the gift that God has given you, this gospel that has been shared with you, you ought to live in such a way that, that reflects the, the honor that, that is due there and the appreciation and the, uh, the understanding of the gravity and the magnitude of the price that's been paid for your salvation. And so he is saying here that, uh, to, that he's encouraging the, the church here at Thessalonica, hey, I came to you not just so that you would kind of get saved and have that, that you know, the, the assurance of that, but then you live, continue to live the same way that you lived beforehand. And he's going to reference that throughout this book. But he's saying, I came to you so that you would walk in such a way and live in such a way uh, that shows maturity and growth and you becoming more like Christ and living in a way that's worthy uh, of the gospel. And so he starts off a pastor who is committed. So what is he committed to? First of all, we see uh, that this, that he is a pastor who is committed to boldness. He's committed to boldness. Verse number two, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. He said, we have, we had boldness in our, in our, uh, in our witness, in our, in our, in our ministry. Uh, it was, we were bold in our faith. He said, we, we, you know, that we went through great trial. He, He mentions here the uh, the mistreatment, the suffering that they had at Philippi, uh, as they were pretty much run out of that town, and then he, was, you know, began to face some of the same things at Thessalonica. But he says, "You've you've seen that, but that uh, that mistreatment." He says, "Shamefully treated that that embarrassment that we suffered, and the mistreatment that we suffered, did not slow us down in our proclamation of the gospel. We continued in boldness to preach and proclaim the word of God. And we, as disciples, we must continue to be bold in our in our witness for others." Uh, as I read that, I'm reminded in in Acts chapter four, verse twenty nine, where it says that the the um, the apostles there that they went out and, and and they actually prayed that they would be bold in their witness. And even when they were arrested and suffered persecution, they came back and again they didn't pray that God would remove that persecution, but they said they prayed that they would remain bold in their witness even in the face of that. Um, and so it's important that even when uh, when when mistreated, that we still have that boldness, that we still walk in that truth. He says there that. Uh, this, this, I declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of conflict. The word conflict, it's an athletic term here that's dealing with struggle and contention in a contest. So there's this tension and this battle between the forces of evil and the forces of good. And we're going to remain bold and we're going to stand bold in our, in our commitment to proclaiming the truth of God's word. So a pastor who is committed to boldness. Uh, Paul is a pastor and we should be pastors that are committed to fidelity to fidelity. We see that in verse number three, a fidelity meaning a, a pureness in our, a purity in our message. And verse three says, for our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. So he's saying that the message that, that we are, that we are proclaiming in this, this, 
this desire to see you grow, it is not coming uh, from error. There were many that were accusing Paul of, of preaching something contrary uh, to the truth. And he's like, hey, the message I am proclaiming is based in the truth of the gospel. And of course, Paul had received these things directly from the Lord and was sharing these things under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so we see here the importance of our, our teaching, our leading, our training, our discipling, being grounded in fidelity, being committed to truth without error. Paul preached the true gospel, and he did so with the right motivation. Uh, he, he he says that it was uh, it was it was not out of any attempts to deceive. He was not trying to trick them, or or, or he, he, some of the translations use even guile here. He wasn't trying to 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 disguise and hide the message. He wasn't trying to trick them into into, into pulling themselves to him but he was pointing them to the truth of God's word. And we must be committed uh, to the purity of the gospel and fidelity in our gospel message. Uh, in verse number four, we see that he's committed to pleasing God. He's committed to pleasing God. Verse four, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. Uh, he references here this, this idea, we've been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. What a what an awesome thing that is. Um, I'm mindful as I read that even of what he said to Timothy uh, when he said, I, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord for he hath enabled me and he counted me faithful to be a part of the ministry. And, and so the, the reality is even as we are discipling others, we must understand and recognize the, 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 the beauty of the fact that God would choose to use us as his witness, that God would choose to use us to help shepherd others and to help lead others. And so don't ever, ever lose the, the importance of that. But he says, as I recognize and I understand that this opportunity I have to pour into your life is simply a, a, it's, it's, it's a gift from God to be able to do this. The fact that he has trusted me with this message of good news to be able to, to herald this good news, uh, then, I, then I've got to remember that my, my role in this is not to please man, but to please God. If God is the one who does the calling and calls us to proclaim his truth, then he is the one that we should be striving to please. And it's important, even as we are discipling and leading others, that we recognize that, that our goal should not be to, to make others happy, to please others around us, but our goal should be to please God. It is God who entrusted us with his, with his gospel. And he is the one that we are to please. We're, it's not about appeasing the world around us. It's not about making others comfortable, but it's about pleasing God and doing what, what God calls us to do. Even ends there that says that God's the one that tests our hearts. Uh, and this is the idea of God tries our heart and sees our heart. He knows what our motivation is. And so our desire is not to, uh, to make everybody happy. Uh, our desire is not to please those around us. Our desire is to please God. And so making sure, again, that we are recognizing the magnitude of this message that we are proclaiming, uh, that, that our motivation is pure, that we're not trying to draw people to ourselves, but we're trying to draw people closer to, to God uh, and to walk in the power of the gospel. A uh, pastor who is committed to boldness, committed to fidelity, committed to pleasing God. In verse number five, he's a pastor who is committed to authenticity. To authenticity. Uh, verse number five, for we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. We never came with words of flattery. This idea of flattery, it means an, an insincerity. It's it's the idea to uh, of furthering one's own interest. 
And he, he said, we didn't come to you uh, with just with words just to make you feel better, with words that were insincere, with words that uh, were for our own intent. But his desire wasn't to tickle their ears and make them feel good so that they would like him. Uh, he didn't want them to, 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 to like him more. And so he didn't just say things to make them feel better about themselves or better about him. It was not his desire to draw them to himself for selfish gain, but instead he wanted them to know the truth. He said, hey, I'm not here to flatter you. I'm not here to make you feel better. I want you to know and hear and walk in the truth. And it's so important as we pour into others in our life, as we disciple others, as we train others, uh, that we do the same thing. You know, sometimes our love for others demands that we say hard things, right? That we, that we, that we not sugarcoat the truth, but that we, that we speak boldly and say what is right uh, and, and what is needed by the hearer, what is needed by the disciple who is seeking to, to grow in their walk with God. We certainly see this running rampant in our uh, even, even Christian circles today um, that, that we see, we see teachers and we see uh, preachers that, that that just say what kind of feels good and they don't want to offend anybody and they don't want to ruffle any feathers. And so we have this idea of flattery and this tickling of the ears. And 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 Paul often rebuked that whole idea uh, and said, hey, it's it, part of love for people is being willing to speak truth. And it's not about flattering and making people feel good. Uh, although we're going to, we're going to get into the fact that we, we still are not abrasive and we're not trying to hurt people, but at the same time, we've got to be willing to speak truth and speak with an, with an authenticity, uh, in, 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 in speaking truth to those, because that's what is needed to help people grow, to help people mature in their faith. So he was, he was committed to authenticity. And again, he says, he, and he keeps coming back to this. He mentions this several times in the passage. He ends verse number five, God is witness, um, it, you, you kind of have Paul in this defense mode because, again, you've had these people from the outside that have kind of been accusing him of these things. And this is really, um, as he as he's coming into this new area of people that are that are hearing the gospel for the first time and these other uh, things about walking with God, there, there are all these on the outside that are trying to use a similar message for their own personal gain and, and to draw people to themselves. And so they are accusing Paul of doing that same thing. And over and over again, he reminds them, hey, God is my witness. God knows my heart. God sees my heart. He reminds you, he reminds them, you have seen me, you have watched me, you know my heart, you know my life. And, and so over and over again, though, he is, he is, ple- he is uh, really just kind of deferring to the fact that God knows his heart and that is where he gets his validity. So committed to boldness, committed to fidelity, committed to pleasing God, committed to authenticity. And then verse number six, committed to selflessness, uh, committed to, to selflessness. Again, he had been accused by his enemies of preaching for personal gain. Look at what he says in verse six. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostle of Christ. He recognizes the fact that it's not a bad thing. And and as an apostle uh, of Christ, he had the opportunity to receive payment for his his ministry and his service. And and, and again, we, we see throughout scripture that that is appropriate. Those that have given their life to preaching and teaching the gospel, it's appropriate for them to uh, to, to have some kind of a, a, a payment for that. But he is, to begin, because Paul is wanting to go above and beyond, he is wanting to, to make sure that there is no even hint of him doing this for personal gain. He is saying, although I could have received, it would have been okay for me to receive payment from you. That's not been my heart's desire. That's not been what I have done. And I have instead rejected that. And I have instead uh, giving myself completely to you, uh, irregardless of what I gain for myself. And so he is not uh, preaching and teaching them for personal gain. He is not doing it for what he can get out of it, but he chose not to receive any payment uh, because he wanted them to know that his desire was for their gain and not his own. 
Uh, he wanted to remind them that his his whole uh, his whole being was so that they would grow in their understanding of the gospel, so that they would grow in their walking with God and their uh, grow deeper as disciples. And so it was not about what he could get from them, but what he could give and what he could share um, in the power of God. And so in these first six verses, again, we just see this pastoral heart where he's he's kind of kind of defending the truth. Um, sharing why they should be able to trust what he is saying. Uh, again, opening himself up to their examination as well as knowing that God sees his heart and that God uh, really is the one who knows the, the the truth in these things. But we see this this just this heart, this pastor who's committed to truth, committed to boldness, committed to proclaiming uh, God's word and committed to their growth and their personal uh, growth and maturity in their walk with God. So verses one through six, a pastor who's committed. In verses seven and eight, we now turn and we now see Paul uh, sharing as a mother who is caring, as a mother who is caring. And there's some there's some words that he uses here. We'll read verses seven and eight, and then we'll, we'll break these down. Uh, but we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become dear to us. You just he just, man, it just oozes out of these verses Paul's love and care for these people and his desire to see them walk in truth. And so here we see the, the faithful discipler uh, as a mother who is caring. And he uses some words here. First of all, verse seven there, he says that, that we were gentle uh, in our approach. We were gentle when we, when we came to you. Uh, we were gentle among you. And of course, gentle meaning uh, kind and helpful. Uh, he, he was not abrasive, he was, but instead he was, he was loving. And again, sometimes we have to share hard truths and we have to share things that are difficult. But this reminds us that we do not have to be abrasive in sharing that truth. Uh, instead, we must be loving. We must be caring. There's a, there's a responsibility to be kind and helpful and gentle uh, in our dealing with those that are growing in their understanding of, of the gospel and in their walk with God. So as we are discipling others who maybe be not, may not be quite along, as far along in their faith as we are, uh, let's be mindful of that. And let's meet them where they are. Let's come to them with a gentleness and with a, a desire to really see them, to help them grow in their understanding of God's word and grow in their walk with him. He, was, he says that, that we uh, we came to you, we were gentle among you, and then like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. Uh, this gives the, that picture of, of just being nourishing in his relationship. Um, the mother, when the mother nurses her child, she is literally giving up herself. Uh, she has, has, has taken in food and, and being striving to be healthy so that she can then give of herself to her for the nourishment of her baby. And, and so Paul is, is, is kind of giving that same idea. He's saying, hey, I am, I am receiving the things of God and I am studying the things of God. And I'm hearing from God so that I might be able to feed and nourish you in the truth. Uh, and that's a responsibility that we have as a discipler as well. We've got to make sure that we're feasting on the right things, that we are students of God's word, that we are taking in the, the meat of the word. And then Paul gives this reference in several different places of this idea of maturity. We move from the milk of the word to the meat of the word. And those of us who are discipling others, we ought to be feasting on the meat of God's word, allowing that to nourish us so that we then have to have that to give out so that we can nourish others and we can share uh, the milk of the word and then grow, help, help our disciples grow in their uh, maturity as well to where they themselves are able to feast on the word. So this idea uh, of, of taking sometimes difficult things and truths from God's word and processing and helping those that are coming behind us, helping to, to feed them the truth of God's word so that they too can nourish on this milk, but move to a level of, of themselves being able to provide for their own nourishment as they are growing and maturing. If we all 
look back in our early uh, time of first coming to know Christ, right? We we didn't know how to study God's word and we needed people that would come alongside us, whether it was a Sunday school teacher or mom and dad or, or, a, or, a, or a youth leader or a children's worker who came alongside us and helped, began to help us understand the truths of God's word and help us to be able to, to study God's word for ourselves. And the more that we walk with Christ and the longer we walk with Christ, um, we, 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 we still will always have people that, will, that should be speaking to our life and that we should allow speaking to our life. But there ought to be this, this level of maturity where we're no longer dependent on others pouring in, but we ourselves are able to go to God's word and study God's word and understand it and grow in our understanding. And so as disciples, that ought to be our goal, that we are providing that nourishment, but then also helping others grow uh, so that they can, can mature on their own there. And so he, he's this gentle, nourishing, uh, and, then he, and then he talks about just the caring role of the mother. Uh, he, he says, like a nursing mother taking care of, his own, of her own children, being affectionately desirous of you who are ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. Uh, this affectionately des, uh, desirous, it's the idea of longing to protect and care for. A lot of, uh, a lot of Bible versions even use that said that we, we have desire to care for you. And, and that's really Paul's heart here. He's wanting to see them, again, being nurtured to grow in their faith. Uh, but you just, you hear this verbiage and just, you see how committed he was to them, uh, how much he cared for them. It was not just something that he did wrote as a responsibility, a checklist that I'm checking off. Oh yeah, I need to check on these people. Oh yeah, I need to, to give them a couple truths. But he really had a strong desire to see them grow in their understanding of the gospel, grow in their, in their own maturity. And so he longed to care for them uh, as, a, as, a caring, as a caring mother here. And then the, the, the fourth thing we see here about this role of the mother is that it was sacrificial. It was sacrificial. He was literally willing to give of himself because their growth and their well-being was so important to him. Uh, at the end of verse number eight, uh, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. And, and so he says, I'm willing to give, I'm willing to, to study, I'm willing to provide for you, I'm willing to care for you and love you uh, because my whole goal is that, that you would grow and your well-being is most important to me. Um, there aren't many things that, that go above the sacrificial love of a mother. I mean, you think from the very moment of birth, the, the, uh, what a mom goes through to be able to bring life to her child, uh, what a mom continues to go through to be able to provide for their child. And, and the, the love of a mother is so sacrificial. It's always uh, about what is best for that child. And that the, the, mother, the love of a mother is a beautiful thing to see. And Paul says, just like a mother loves her child, I love you and I want to see you grow and I want to see you develop and I want to see you mature uh, into, into what God wants you to be. And so from the very beginning of this relationship early on, we see this gentle love and care. Um, but just as that gentle love and care of a mother uh, happens, uh, hopefully it happened in your life. I know in my life I can testify to that. But then as I grew older and, and, and to continue to, to grow and mature uh, as, as a young man, uh, man, the, the, the care and love and example of my father became even more important in my life. And so Paul concludes these passages here by talking about, a, by showing himself as a father who is exemplary, a father who is an example uh, to the disciples, to those that, that are growing. And so we see that, that, that care of a pastor, then we see that nurturing love and that early provision of the mother. Uh, and now it moves on to him sharing his example as a father who cares about them and wants to see them grow into that adulthood, grow into maturity. And so verses 9 through 12, we see uh, the father who is exemplary. 
For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct to you, towards you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each, of, each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory." A father who is exemplary. Uh, first of all, we see this, this father who is an example in his work. He's an example in his work. Verse number nine, our labor and our toil. He is, he is showing here that we were willing to work hard on your behalf. We were willing to do what was necessary to bring you the, to, the, to, the, to the gospel. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. So again, he is referencing this idea from a physical standpoint of the fact that, that he, he was willing to get, his own, get another job. He was willing to do whatever it took. He was willing to work hard in order to have the opportunity to pour into their lives and to, and to speak into their lives and to help train and disciple them. And so he was an example of someone who was willing to work. He was willing to work on his own. He was willing to provide his own way. He didn't want to be a burden uh, to those that he was that he was training, but instead he wanted to be a help. And even from a spiritual standpoint, sometimes we we kind of get that role of the discipler and the disciple confused, and we begin to kind of kind of think that our those that we're discipling should treat us better or should care more for us or or respect and honor us more. And Paul's like, it's not about that. It's about I, I as as being called to disciple others and train others then I need to be the one that is willing to put in the work and be an example of what that looks like to, to work hard at, at studying, to work hard at pouring into, to work hard at making time for um, all of these different things. And so we see both the example from a physical standpoint as well as a spiritual standpoint. Paul says, I was willing to, to do whatever was necessary to be able to help you grow in your walk with God. So this example of a father uh, in his work, but then also we see an example that the, he's an example in his walk. He's an example in his walk. Verse number 10, you are witnesses. Again, he's saying, you've seen this. You've watched me. And God also is my witness. God knows my heart and God has seen my life. How holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. Now, is Paul claiming to be perfect here? Absolutely not. But he was living in such a way that he was able to say, I'm not, I may not be perfect, but, but there is a sense in my life that I, that in my walk with God, that I am striving for these things. And these things are, are becoming evident. And the reality is, as we mature in our faith, these things should be evident. A person that is a true follower of Christ, these things will be evident. We will be growing in our, in our holiness, in our righteousness, in our blamelessness. And, and so Paul is saying, I'm, I'm setting the example here for you. You've, you've watched my life. You've seen me. God knows my heart. God sees me. And I'm striving for these things. And of course, the word holy here, to walk in holiness, so it means to, to be set apart, to be different, to be uh, set apart for, for the glory of God, ultimately striving to be like Christ, to be, to be like God. Uh, Peter said, as he is holy, be ye holy. Uh, was, that was quoted from Leviticus. As God is holy, we are to strive to be holy. So Paul is saying, I am, I am being set apart for God. I am walking in holiness. I'm striving to be like him. Uh, he said, I'm walking in righteousness. And righteous here means to, to be upright and to be living in the right way. Uh, and and he, he said, I'm holy, I'm righteous, I'm upright, I'm striving to, to walk in the truth of God's word. Not only striving to be like Christ, but striving to, to walk in the truth and the righteousness of, of God's word and what God has for us. Uh, and then he, he says how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct. Again, blameless does not mean perfect, but it carries this idea of faultless. 
Uh, it's not perfect, but yet it is living above reproach. It's living in such a way that, that others, that, that men cannot accuse you. You're not an easy target for accusation because you are living above that reproach. You're, you're, you're being careful about the things that you engage in, the things that you allow into your lives, the situations you find yourself in. You're not putting yourself in a place where you're an easy target for the enemy or an easy target for those who would, who would seek to, to destroy uh, the things of God. And so you're living in a way, uh, when Paul references the, the responsibilities and the requirements of an elder and of a deacon and those that that serve the body of Christ. This is one of those key things that he says that we that, that, that those persons would be blameless. And so in the life of a disciples, we're seeking to, to disciple each other. We ought to be striving to walk in holiness, striving to be like God, be like our creator, be like that holy one. We ought to be striving to walk in righteousness, walking uprightly according to the, the precepts and the teaching of God's word. And then we ought to be striving to live blameless above the reproach of the world. Don't put ourselves in compromising situations. Be careful about the things that we the, that we say, the places we go, the way that we conduct ourselves, so that we are not giving ourselves as a target for the enemy and for the the ways of the world. So he's a a father who is exemplary in his uh, in his work, a father who is exemplary in his walk, and then and then finally in verses eleven and twelve, a father who is exemplary in his words, in the things that he says, in the way that he interacts. Uh, one of the things I am. Um, just, just thinking through this, I'm thank, so thankful for my own dad, who, who was, who was my chief discipler in my life. He's the one that really uh, poured into my life, and I, and I, he, he did so by his work. He taught me to, 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 to work honestly, to do what is right, to study and, and put in the effort to grow in my relationship with God, but then also to provide for my family. He, 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 he was a witness in his walk. He, he lived out this life in front of me, and my dad certainly, again, was not perfect, but yet. I, I saw him constantly seeking to grow. And still to this day, he continues to seek to grow in his in his own maturity in God. And he, and he models that in front of me. Uh, but then there are things that I've learned from my dad just through conversations we've had and things that he has shared with me. And he, it's not enough just to live it out in front of uh, our children and, or our disciple, those that we're seeking to mature and grow. It's not enough just to live it in front of them. We've got to be intentional in our conversations with them as well. And I remember those times where, where dad would, uh, maybe he was doing ministry or he was going about his work and he'd say, hey, come go with me. And we'd have those conversations. Now, there were some times where I didn't like those conversations, right? I kind of pushed those conversations away and I didn't want to hear from dad because I knew things in my life that, that were going to be addressed and going to be talked about that were not going to be pleasant. And so I would kind of push that away. But the reality is I look back today and even, even now there are things when I'm, you know, I'm, you know, looking for wisdom and looking to, to walk through, man, I'm so thankful I can pick up the phone and call my dad and talk through those things. But the same idea ought to be true, not just in our, in our familial situations, but in our discipleship situations as well. There are times where we need to, to spend time with those that we're seeking to, to disciple and grow, that we need to speak truth into their lives. Sometimes that truth may not be comfortable. It may be difficult, but we've got to be willing to speak truth and to, and to share with them. And so he uses three different words here again as he is, is talking about the words and the kind, of, the kind of words that he says and the way that he, that he uses his words in the conversation. He says, first of all, uh, we exhorted each one of you. We exhorted each one of you. The, the word, the, the uh, verb for exhort here, it's, it's parakaleo. Parakaleo. And you may be familiar with that verb, the, the paraclete, right? Parakletos, the one called alongside. Parakaleo, the word kaleo means to call. Uh, and para means, means near. It means to come. So it's the idea of, of calling near to come alongside. It's the idea of joining them kind of in that, in that struggle or in that tension of trying to figure something out and seeking to build them up. 
So part of the role of a of a of an exemplary uh, father who is discipling his disciples is that we that we come along that we come near that we come alongside those that we're discipling and seek to build them up and say, hey, we're in this with you, we're in this thing with you, and we're gonna we're gonna build you up, and we're gonna help equip you to make the right decisions, we're gonna equip you to to move forward in your maturity, and so we are called to exhort those that we are discipling. He says we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you. Uh, we know what encouragement means, right? It means to comfort, to console, to again, to, to, to build up and strengthen. But here it has the idea of, of empathy in the struggle. So, so first of all, we're going we're gonna to come near you. We're going to walk with you in the day-to-day decision-making. But now not only are we going to walk with you, but when the struggles come and the difficulties come, we're going to be there to comfort you through those things. We're going to console you because maybe we can take the things that, that we have gone through and the things that we have been through and the comfort we have received from the Holy Spirit and the comfort we have received from those who have discipled and trained us. And now we're able to share that same comfort and that same encouragement um, with those that we're leading. Because the truth is, we all know as we're deciding discipling people and bringing them along in their maturity, they're going to face struggles. They're going to be rejected. They're going to face difficulty. And we need to be ready to come alongside them, to encourage them along the way, to cheer them on, to keep going, to not be defeated by the discouragement, to not give in to the fear and the adversity that comes their way. So he said, we exhorted each one of you, we encouraged you, but then also we charged you to walk. We charged you as well. And this is that idea of to challenge to call to, to witness, to bear the evidence. And that's really, it's a, a, again, kind of that legal term of a, of a witness. He's saying, we, we want to challenge you and charge you to live in such a way that, that your life is a witness to the power of the gospel. So this is where we, again, we pour into and we teach them to, to walk in truth. We teach them and charge them to, to make good decisions, to follow after righteousness, to walk in the ways of the word of God. And this sometimes may mean that we confront things. This may sometimes mean that we call out things that need to be addressed in their lives. But Paul says, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to challenge you and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call you to bear witness of the power of the gospel. I want your life to bear the evidence that God's gospel will change you from the inside out. And, and ultimately that's, that's his desire. And that should be our desire as we seek to disciple and train others as well. And so we see, again, we see Paul's love and care for the people. We see his role as a, uh, as a pastor who is shepherding them um, with commitment, with conviction, with boldness and all these things. We see that he is nourishing them and caring for them as a mother who is seeking to help them grow and, and care for them in those early stages of their walk with Christ. But then we also see him as a father who who is living an exemplary life, who is willing to, to, uh, to, to come alongside them, to encourage them when the going gets tough, but then also to challenge them and call them to do right. And so again, just as we started this, this, this chapter with his idea of my, my coming to you was not in vain, we conclude verse number 12 with the goal is that, we, that they would walk in maturity, walk in a manner worthy of God. And we see this over and over again in Paul's writings. I'm thinking, thinking of Colossians chapter one, where he says, our goal is that we would present every man complete and mature before Christ. Our goal ought to be those that are, that are following us, those that we've shared the gospel with, we ought to be, our goal ought to be to come alongside them and disciple them and train them in the ways of the Lord so that they too might walk worthy. And then they are able to pour in to others and disciple them as a pastor and as a father and a mother as well. So I pray that we will walk in these truths and I pray that, uh, that this will be uh, evident in our lives just as it was evident in the life of Paul. As we conclude our time together today, will you join me in a time of prayer for the country of Taiwan?
Dear Heavenly Father God, we love you. Thank you so much for your goodness, your grace, and your mercy to us. Thank you for the wonderful privilege of being a part of your family and having people in our lives that guide us and direct us and point us to you and disciple us in the truth of your word. Lord, as we gather together, we are lifting up the nation of Taiwan. And God, we're praying that you would protect this nation from the spread of coronavirus. Uh, the people there would have the, the political freedom to make decisions that are uh, in best interest of the people of Taiwan and specifically the vulnerable children there. Lord, we lift up our, our primary partners there in Taiwan, Lord Cathwell. And uh, God, we pray that you would sustain them in the work that they're doing, that you would, uh, Lord, guide them and direct them as they care for birth mothers and vulnerable children, uh, that those with the, that serve in that on that team, Lord, will be kept safe and that uh, the people they serve will be safe as well. Uh, God, we pray that the gospel would go forth in Taiwan, or this is a nation that is uh, just truly gripped by Buddhism and ancestor worship. And God, we pray that you would uh, just break the, the hold that uh, those false teachings have on those people and that the, the gospel would go forth and that you would send laborers to preach and proclaim that gospel, that you would bring people to yourself, Lord, and give them the ability to share their faith and uh, share the truth of your word, God. We we pray also that there would be a, a just a, a greater sense of awareness around just the uh, the needs and the reality to, to step up and advocate for vulnerable children. Um, God, we pray that you would provide more families that would be willing to adopt children from Taiwan, that they would be willing to, uh, Lord, do what is necessary to, to bring those children uh, into safe, God, uh, God-centered families. Uh, God, we pray that you would uh, Lord, give wisdom to the team there at Cathwell and, and just to the, the, the government in Taiwan that they would be more open to different forms of adoption and, and uh, Lord, more additional families, that they would not be tied up with some of the details of birth order and large families and those kind of things, God, but they'd be more open to, uh, Lord, seeing children placed in, in strong mission-minded families. Um, God, we pray for those families that are our current Lifeline families that are, uh, Lord, in the process of adopting from Taiwan and have a desire to. And we pray that you would match them with just the right children and that those, uh, Lord, matches would happen soon. And, uh, Lord, that you would provide what's necessary again for those children to be to be brought home into families. Um, Lord, we do praise you for what you are doing there. Lord, we've had several new files uh, received recently regarding adoption from Taiwan. And so, God, we just pray again that you just would make the right matches, put the right people in the right place, and that, uh, Lord, those in country would, uh, Lord, receive these families well, and that these uh, families would be able to, to, to be matched perfectly with the children that you have planned for them. God, again, we just thank you for the privilege of being a part of your story. Uh, and specifically as it relates to vulnerable children and families in Taiwan. We pray you'll continue to guide and direct and bless this ministry. And we will give you the thanks and praise for it. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Bible Study to make it easier for more people to find. For more resources and information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, please visit us at lifelinechild.org. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. We look forward to seeing you again next week for the Defender Bible Study. Music